0: The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. The CEO of the Committee for Geelong, Jennifer Cromarty. good morning.
1: Morning, Mitchell. How are you?
0: Good. Thank you for being on the program once again. Big day, Melbourne Cup Day. Our sort of tradition on this program is to ask everyone that comes on what their tip is, if any.
1: Oh, great question. I actually don't usually look, but I did this morning. So, I know there's a overwhelming favourite, but I usually look at um, form and a few other things, including the jockey. So, I think we need to look at... Um, grand promenade a great british horse So i'll just say that and leave
0: it for the listeners to find out well the tape is going over it i think we've had one person over the years actually pick the winner and uh, if you've <laughs> picked it uh, we'll play it later on this afternoon <laughs> now um, i see there's been a bit of a round table and a conversation between you and the geelong chamber of commerce about how we can perhaps best support businesses and the vaccinated economy of course this weekend this long weekend has been the first time that metropolitan melbourne people can come down here and enjoy everything that our region has to offer. I'm assuming on the roads heading back to Melbourne later today, it's going to be absolutely chockers. But have you had any reports from how business is dealing with uh, the vaccinated economy, enforcing vaccinations and even just recovering from what's been a very tough winter?
1: Yeah, look, and it's not even just this weekend. I mean, um, you know, I've been out and about in regional Victoria for a while where people have been asking for the, um, you know, to show the, the green tick for your vaccinated passport and Look, all in all, I think there's been a reasonable response in the sense that, you know, we were hearing um, even in the last period of time when people were being asked for ID, uh, where there have been some examples of aggression towards, you know, perhaps the young people who are asking for those, um, you know, the pieces of information. So our concern really is that people need to, in Geelong particularly, obviously, but people need to be really aware that if they see any acts that aren't very friendly towards some of our, you know, diligent hospitality workers and others that we need to call it out. Um, This weekend, I think, obviously, we've had such a big influx and the fact that Melbourne people don't have to show where they're from anymore probably might ease. And the fact that our vaccination rates, as you said, Mitchell, are so high and not just in Geelong but across the state, so what I have heard, though, is there are some um, organisations that have found it really hard and what they've done is actually put more senior people, even the owners themselves, have been, you know, the, the, let's just say the wardens at the front of the organisation to check those IDs just in case there's been any issues. And, and what we said at the forum is <clears throat> we really need to have an education campaign about that. And also just support from um, local residents to just pitch in and make sure that the workers who are out there trying to do the right thing are, are made to feel safe.
0: Uh, The figures have just dropped from the Department of Health, and we're below the 1,000 mark, which might be a positive sign. So 989 new cases yesterday, and sadly, nine lives lost. And uh, even the active case numbers I can see are sort of going down, because I think they were hovering around 23,000 for a while, but now down to 19,409, and um, I can see 667 people in hospital, which is less than about the the 700 mark, which it was a couple of weeks ago. So there's maybe some hope on the horizon, but I don't want to jeopardise it because as soon as you say that, things tick up again the next day.
1: Well, if you look at New South Wales, I mean, I think we can have some hope. And and if you look globally, I mean, Australia's vaccination rates are extremely high. Um, And as you just said, Geelong's tipping over 90% double-vax, which I think um, I was in a forum not that long ago where we were talking about the UK vaccination rates and we are so far ahead. So I think when you actually look at New South Wales and the way their numbers have decreased, I think we can be quite optimistic, Mitchell. And I can't imagine a few years ago us being happy about... A 900 case number but mm. um, I think things are a lot different as you say with the numbers of hospitalizations and people who are seriously ill.
0: Yeah that's exactly right. Um, it was really interesting for me on Friday night to go for a walk through Federation Square in Melbourne which has sort of become a bit of a tradition on the day that the borders come down for me now but look to be honest it was very quiet in the city and there's a lot of hospitality businesses with plenty of empty tables and I'm wondering if people are reluctant to go back into the Melbourne CBD or if maybe just everyone got in their car from Melbourne and went down the coast. And I was one of the few that decided to go the other way. But it would appear in the Melbourne CBD they're going to have to do some work to get that back up to speed. I don't know how that compares to how we're going here in our Geelong CBD.
1: Yeah, well, one of the recommendations that we put out, so that forum you mentioned was hosted by the Committee for Geelong with the Chamber of Commerce and Tourism Greater Geelong and the Ballerine and one of the things that I've been discussing for quite some time is what does the future of CBD look like? And I noticed um, not that long ago, there was a front page um, in our local newspaper talking about demands for city workers to go back in the city. And look, I don't think demanding things of people will go down that well, mm. particularly when we've got a skill shortage. So I'll just say that, but... You look at global trends, people will come back to the city, but it won't be 100%. It won't be 9 to 5, Monday to Friday. You might get people, and I've spoken to government agencies, I've spoken to businesses, you might get people coming two to three days a week, you know, on average, they'll work it out, they'll do the meetings they need to do, and then they'll have that flexibility. So we will get some people coming back in the city, but ultimately what we need are more residents, in the city, which is one of the um, recommendations that we put in that um, forum, which is we need significant government support and funding so Geelong can, um, you know, realise the ten to 12,000 people to come in the city. This is what Melbourne did years ago with their Postcode 3000 project. By having people living in the city, you get that, well, literally 24-7 economy where people will be out and about shopping and, um, you know, using all of those hospitality services and entertainment in the city. And it also increases safety. So, you know, I'd sort of say let's have our minds shift a little bit and, yes, we will have some commuters coming back in the city that will help businesses and will help enliven our CBD, but ultimately we need to really get um, strong incentives for developers as well as creative and um, policy shifts in terms of getting people into current buildings, you know, shop top living and, you know, repurposing buildings at the moment for the future.
0: But I suppose the key is also to make the city a place that people want to visit and uh, live in rather than just being a place that they have to go to because their boss says, no, you must come in five days a week.
1: Oh, correct. So I think what we'll see in Geelong, I mean, if you think about the money that's already going to central Geelong, so the GMHBA Stadium final stage, I mean, you've got a world-class facility there. You've got um, the Geelong Arts Centre, which hopefully will be opened, I think, I think Joel McGinnis said in 2023. But, you know, a multi-multi-million dollar redevelopment in that cultural precinct will have, hopefully, the Geelong Gallery redeveloped. They're putting out a $90 million um, request to government to expand into City Hall to actually get our Geelong Art Gallery, you know, the, the space and recognition it deserves and then you think about, obviously, just shopping, but um, the convention centre, dare I say it, you know, the waterfront's been, you know, a huge draw card for our community over a long period of time. And as we actually start seeing some of the buildings in the city, and you will see it when you walk down the street, Mitchell, you know, up Mirable Street, people do talk about how dreadful sometimes the Mirable Street precinct can be. But equally, you look at, you know, Ryrie up to Maya and the number of buildings that are being redeveloped there, you know, Bowen Health, building uh, believe that big new mental health facility as well. We are being regenerated and people will have purpose to come into the city. And it really needs to be a combination of retail, entertainment, cultural activities, the waterfront. So that money is already happening, Mitchell. And I mean, I heard you talk about transport, more than happy to talk about that as well. But we need to have easy, attractive you know, modes of transport for people to be able to come into the city and not have to worry about getting a car park.
0: Yes, that is a problem. We'll get on to transport in a moment. But just to finish off the business point, Mm -hmm. uh, is there anything else that we need to do at this stage in terms of maybe the government offering support or anything else? Or does the government now just have to stand back and let the economy run for a few weeks to allow business to start to recover and not intervene and I suppose change things around with restrictions and such?
1: No, I think the government would be completely aware of the need to support our, um, our economy as we revert back to whatever COVID normal means. And you look at City of Melbourne and there's been hundreds of millions of dollars going into what they're going to do to relive, you know, to liven their city. So one, one project that I've probably talked about a lot over the years, even before I got this job, Mitchell, is I know the City of Melbourne's looking at getting artists and creatives into vacant spaces. This is something Geelong has had a history with with Renew Geelong and Creative Geelong, um, both being funded by state and local government to reactivate vacant retail spaces. And the City of Melbourne's had a huge response to their project to look at getting those sorts of businesses and people into the city to actually lead, you know, we could have a creative-led revival. So, take into account all the other things I've said, we do need to look at those big strategic investments in the city that are going to be attractors. But equally, people want a granular experience that is really different to the lives they lead near their homes. So, I think, yes, the state government can look at these things. I know there's a lot of applications for grants, so the government has already opened up opportunities for these um, types of ideas. So I know a lot of community groups, because I, I regularly sign letters of support, <laughs> Mitchell, for lots of organisations going out there and trying to access government funding to do these sorts of projects. So we need a really a multifaceted response. And we also need the community to um, reimagine what the city actually can be for them and not just about work.
0: Right, public transport. So there was an article in the PPS today, and we'll be talking to both people in that article, the Public Transport Users Association and Councillor Eddie Kontel. But the idea flagged by the Public Transport Users Association was to close off Moorable Street to cars between Rary Street and Mallop Street and turn that whole area into one big super bus terminus that I suppose would involve buses um, coming down the middle as well and people getting on and off different buses, and they think that would incentivize people to use buses more. Do you think that would work?
1: This is such a good discussion, Mitchell. So, um, you know, I can probably talk about this for quite some time. I think what Paul Westcott's suggesting has merit. Um, if you have ever tried to drive through that part of Mirable Street, you know it is already very, very difficult. Yes. If you even try to go through Little Mallop and turn into Mirabel very very difficult so i think when you actually look at the way the traffic signals work and the nature of that street it probably does lend itself to an experience like that but where paul and the committee for geelong would disagree is the nature of buses versus the idea of either a trackless tram or light rail itself so you actually look at the burke street mall and it's not buses is it so i think the thing is if we're actually going to transform our city Let's look at public transport modes that will be a park and drive type initiative. And um, if your listeners are aware, a couple of weeks ago, the Committee for Geelong put a media release out there where a proposal has gone to the State Government for a trackless tram or advanced railless tram trial, which would actually pick up, you know, people coming from Geelong Station, South Geelong Station, and or a park and ride service near Triboys. I don't know if you know Tri Boys, but out there near Newcomb, um, and actually have a tram-like experience. And, and Paul will argue that trackless trams are just a bus. We can talk about the technology, but if you have not been on one of these trackless trams, they are for all intents and purposes – equal experience to a tram to do with their engineering and a far more attractive mode of transport, um, according to the research, than buses. And what you actually be able to do is get mass numbers of people into the city in a mode that people like, which actually also can potentially give a value uptick to the commercial properties in the the city. So, you know, I've been on this um, journey for quite some time, as you know, Mitchell, for years. If we looked at shutting down that part of Mirabel Street, how wonderful would it be to have a super stop with a tram-like experience?
0: Well, we'll ask him all of those questions in the second hour of the program. But, yeah, it's an interesting discussion around what is the preferred option, buses, trams. I mean, what do you see as being the big advantages of taking a tram over a bus? Why is it more attractive to you? Is it a higher capacity thing or something else?
1: Well, look, it's a bit of both. I mean, obviously, capacity is one thing, but people in Melbourne, if you look at um, the way people use public transport in Melbourne... For whatever reason, I'll call it the brand of tram or tram brand is actually far more attractive to people than getting on a bus. If you go on a tram, it is obviously much easier to get off and on. You can stand, you can usually not have that rolling experience that you get with a bus. Mm. Usually it's point to point. So it's a pretty straight destination type journey Um, And it's not like, for example, with a bus. It depends on frequency, which you mentioned. You need to have great frequency with this sort of transport as well so people know they can wait and the next tram will come. So, look, we're looking for a trial. The technology isn't even in Australia yet, but there's a lot of cities across Australia looking at this technology for this purpose. So, I think it ticks. Yes, it ticks the number of people you can get on. It ticks the experience. For people. I don't think many people go onto a bus for the experience. Um, and also, they seem to think that, you know, this sort of technology will give an uptick in terms of investment in the city as well. Wherever there's a tram stop in Melbourne, you will find that commercial properties do actually get an uptick in value. So, it ticks a lot of boxes for
0: us. Finally, it's your 20th anniversary this year.
1: Yes, it is. So, thank you for letting me talk about that briefly. We're having a lunch on the 7th of December. Um, At GMHBA Stadium, we've opened up ticket sales. We weren't actually probably going to talk about it as publicly as we are now, but because of the easing of restrictions, we don't have the caps on numbers that we were originally thinking. So, we'll be able to um, basically host as many people almost as can buy a ticket. So, it could be potentially quite a big event for us. Um, But no, we're celebrating our 20th anniversary. We will have um, a guest speaker, Janet Daw, if you remember, she was the CEO of the TAC when it came to Geelong. She's a former deputy chair of the Committee for Geelong. She'll have some wonderful things to say about Geelong's journey over the years. And we'll have a, a whole raft of different um, presentations and and activities at the lunch. So 7th of December, just go to the Committee for Geelong's website if you're interested to join us.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much for being on the program. Looking forward to speaking to you next month for the last time this year. Oh, gosh. Thanks,
1: Mitchell. Where did the year
0: go? I know. Yeah. So much hope for this year that unfortunately was dashed, but let's hope that we can go forward and look forward to a brighter 2022.
1: And maybe
0: I'll see you more than maybe once next year. <laughs> we'll see how we go. See Thank you, you, Mitchell. Uh, Jennifer Cromedy with us there, uh, the CEO of the Committee for Geelong.